did. Just to reset uh, where we have been, for those of you who may be new, we are in a series where we're looking closely at the last eight days, the last eight days of Jesus' life, as recorded in the last half of the Gospel of Mark. The first half of the Gospel of Mark, I mean like exactly the first half of the Gospel of Mark, answers the question, who is Jesus? And the disciple Peter uh, declares the answer to that question at the end of chapter 8, right? At the halfway mark of the gospel. He says, he says, Jesus is the Messiah. And then with that understanding resolved, in the last eight days of his life, Jesus really begins now to fine-tune his teaching to explain what it means to be his follower. And he does this as he journeys toward Jerusalem and his preordained appointment uh, with a Roman cross. And along the way, we come to the very controversial passage that we're going to look at today. And if you have a Bible, I'd like for you to turn with me in it to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, and we'll begin reading uh, at verse 1 in just a moment. And while you're turning to Mark chapter 10, uh, I want to welcome those of you who are listening to us over the internet or uh, through our app. We're so glad to have you with us this morning. Mark chapter 10. And we're going to start at verse 1. Jesus then left that place where they were before, and he went into the region of Judea and crossed the Jordan. Again, crowds of people came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him by asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, Uh, The fact that the Pharisees are there to test Jesus shouldn't surprise any of you who were uh, with us or who maybe have listened to the messages on the first half of the Gospel of Mark, because this happens a lot. The Pharisees, uh, they hate Jesus, and they plot and they strategize about how to diminish Jesus' popularity and, and, and about how to accuse him. And in fact, they even have plotted with uh, the Herodians uh, to, uh, to kill Jesus. But uh, so far, uh, none of their plots have ever worked. Jesus always ends up making them look like fools, which makes them even more angry, of course. And so they decide to choose, really, I think, the most controversial uh, subject that they could choose to test Jesus on in that day, the subject of divorce. And it's amazing, isn't it, that over 2,000 years, uh, that Uh, 2,000 years later, that very uh, subject, divorce, is still incredibly controversial. Like some people think divorce is destroying the fabric of our society. Others think, well, it's no big deal. I've taught on uh, divorce many times over the years. And sometimes, uh, at the end, some people have thanked me profusely for it. And other people have dressed me down for it. One time there was this guy, I'd been preaching on divorce... And he came up to me, and he had this big smile on his face. And I thought uh, he liked the sermon. Uh, Instead, he said, and this was really weird, he said, I'm smiling because I don't want the people around us to know that I am rebuking you. So you smile too. (laughs) And when he was done rebuking me, he said, have a nice day. The pastor part of me said, you too, but the uh, human part of me wanted to say, Dude, I hope you drop your phone in a toilet today or, you know, something, <laughs> something equally harsh. Okay? So this is a controversial passage, even among 
uh, believers in Jesus Christ. And I want to say that by way of full disclosure, I want you to know that there are many believers in Jesus Christ who would take issue with me on the way that I interpret this passage. And I'm going to I tell you that because, you know, I think it's, I think it's fair uh, to give you full disclosure on that, but I also tell you that because I want you to be able to decide whether what I say about this passage makes sense or not. Now, here's what I want to do in the next few minutes as we break down the passage that we're looking at today. First, I want to explain the controversy about divorce, the controversy about divorce. Second, I want to look at Jesus' teaching about divorce. And then third, I want to consider Jesus' cross and divorce. The controversy about divorce, Jesus' teaching about divorce, and Jesus' cross and divorce. So let's start with the controversy about divorce. Okay? Among the Jewish people, the controversy over divorce had to do with what the Old Testament Mosaic law said about divorce. And let me just show you the specific passage that was the source of the controversy. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 24. We'll put it up on the screen for you. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, uh, circle that word or highlight that word displeasing if you have a Bible, uh, who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent, okay, circle, highlight, underline that word, uh, finds something indecent about her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, and if after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man and her second husband dislikes her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house, or if he dies, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again. Complicated passage, isn't it? Now, the controversy was over the words in verse 1. Two words, displeasing and indecent. I had you highlight or circle those words, displeasing and indecent. The question was, do the words displeasing and indecent, do they go together as the NIV version that I just read seems to indicate? Or are the words to be understood as separate? As in, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, or he finds something indecent about her. Which, which one was it supposed to be? And as you can imagine, there were two schools of thought about this passage. The liberal school of thought was named after a rabbi named Hillel. And Hillel took the uh, latter view, that the words were to be understood as separate. So, a man could get a divorce for anything he wanted to divorce his wife for. Either she became displeasing to him in some way, and I mean to tell you, it could be anything. Like if her looks left her in midlife, if she burned his toast, if she didn't know how to change a flat tire, it didn't matter. He could, if he didn't like her personality, or if she had been indecent, which was interpreted to mean adultery, either way, no matter what it was, he could get rid of her by just writing her a certificate of divorce, you know, just giving her a, pay, a piece of paper that says, you are divorced. And the purpose of that certificate of divorce was to allow her to remarry someone else. It was her way, you know, like they didn't have, you know, elaborate uh, legal systems like they have today. And so it was her way of saying, see, I am free to marry. The conservative school of thought was named after a rabbi by the name of Shammai. And he believed that these words... Uh, went together as they are in the NIV. In other words, uh, what he, the way he read this was that uh, sh- the woman becomes displeasing 
because he finds something indecent about her. Okay? That's how Shammai read this uh, passage. The husband has become displeased because of the wife's indecency or her adultery. And so they believed, followers of Shammai believed, that adultery was the only reason that a man could divorce his wife. Now, by the way, some of you might be wondering, why does this passage only address men and divorce? Well, just remember that in the ancient world, women had no status. Uh, They couldn't divorce a man. And so this passage was just dealing with society as it was, not necessarily as it should be. And what it's trying to do is to attempt to protect wives from brutal abandonment by men. That's, That's what this passage was about. Now, the Pharisees know that there will be liberals and conservatives in the crowd that Jesus is speaking to. So the Pharisees want Jesus to weigh in on the matter, thinking that either way he answers the question, he's going to alienate someone in the crowd and therefore reduce his popularity. So they ask this question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, I want to show you two problems with this question that they're asking, okay? First, the motive behind their question is all wrong. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? See, they're not wanting to know what the law really said. As I said, they want to trap Jesus. Are you liberal or are you conservative? They want to to alienate some of Jesus' followers. That was their motive, okay? The second thing that's wrong with the question is that the orientation of their question is all wrong. The orientation of their question is all wrong, and here's what I mean. Jesus once summarized uh, the whole of the Mosaic Law by simply saying this. It's recorded in Matthew chapter 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, he says, hang on uh, these two commandments. Now, I want you to notice the orientation of Jesus' summary in that passage. It's love God and love people. It's a positive orientation, you see. It's positive. The law was saying that the best way that you can flourish as a person and the best way that your marriage will flourish and the best way that society as a whole will flourish is if you put everything you have into loving God and loving your wife. But you see, the Pharisees are more interested in legal exceptions than they are about fulfilling God's positive will, okay? The orientation of their approach to the law is all wrong. They want to find out how to get out of doing what God wants them to do, how to not have to do what God is saying that he wants them to do, to love God and to love people. They want to get out of that. So you see, their orientation is negative. It's, it's, it's all wrong. Now, Jesus sees that they're trying to box him in. And so he does something that's genius. Rather than answering their question, he asks them a question. 
And this question that he asks them is, is, it's a genius question because it highlights their negative orientation to the Mosaic law. And here's the question that he asks them. Asks them, what did Moses command you? Now, okay, it's a genius question because it's very subtle, but the impact, the meaning of this question is very profound because he's getting at the difference between the orientation of their question and the orientation of the law. What did Moses command you? Not what were the exceptions that he allowed. What did he command you? Did Moses command you to get divorced? Men, go divorce your wives. Men, kick your wives out on the street. Men, when you get to midlife, go buy a Porsche and date a 25-year-old blonde. Is that what he commanded? Oh, of course not. That's not what he commanded. That's not the orientation of the law. The orientation of the law is good and positive. Love people, not hurt people, and destroy families. But watch how they answer. And again, this highlights their negative approach uh, to the law. They said, verse 4, they said, Moses, uh, they don't want to talk about what Moses commanded, do they? What do they say? Moses, what's the word? Say, say it real loud, everybody, would it? Permitted, yeah. Not Moses commanded. That's what Jesus asked. Moses, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Now, if they were really interested, if, if they were really sincere, if they were really interested in learning what the Mosaic law meant, they would have answered Jesus' question correctly. They would have said, Moses commanded us to love our wives. But that's not what they want to talk about. They want to trap Jesus. Are you liberal about divorce or are you conservative about divorce? They want to get Jesus all tangled up in this controversy between the liberal and conservative views on divorce in order to discredit him. Okay? Now, that's the controversy about divorce. Okay? Liberal, conservative, can you divorce your wife for any reason? Can you only divorce her for, uh, uh, for adultery? That's, that's the controversy. Now, what I want to do now is I want to shift to what Jesus teaches about divorce. Jesus teaching about, about divorce. And I want, you to, I want you to pay close attention to Jesus' response uh, to the Pharisees trying to wiggle out of this command and go after just what Moses permitted as an exception. Watch what he says. He says, verse 5, It was because... Your hearts were hard that Moses wrote you this law, Jesus replied. Now, I want you to highlight that phrase, your hearts were hard, and we'll come back to it in a minute. But for now, what I want you to notice is that he doesn't answer their question, does he? He never tells them, liberal, conservative, he doesn't ever answer that question. He just says that Moses uh, allowed you divorce because your hearts uh, were hard. He neither sides with the liberals, nor does he side with the conservatives. Why? Why doesn't he do that? Because that wasn't what the Pharisees needed. It wasn't what his disciples who were around him needed. It wasn't what anyone in the crowd uh, needed. He didn't want to reinforce this negative orientation to the law. God, through Moses, wasn't trying to provide them a clever way to get out of marriage and still be technically lawful. That's not what, he was do- that's not what God was doing. They needed 
the Pharisees needed to stop focusing on how to get out of God's will and start focusing on how to do God's will. And so Jesus reminds them of a fundamental metaphysical aspect of marriage. He goes back to Genesis chapter 1 where uh, the blueprint for marriage was, was given. And he says, but at the beginning of creation... God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become, the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. And then he says, here it is. This is a shot, right? This is a dagger to the heart of the Pharisees. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one, let no one, Separate. Somehow in marriage, we don't understand it, it's mystical. Somehow in marriage, God takes two people and turns them into one. And so logically, just logically, if the sovereign creator God has done that, if he's brought these two people together and made them into one, No mere human being, no mere human man should undermine the good and the miraculous metaphysical thing that God has done between these two people. I want to read on, verse 10. When they were in the house again, uh, the disciples asked Jesus about this. Uh, There's a parallel passage in Matthew 19 that uh, discusses this a little further. And really, what it says is the disciples were so alarmed by this that they, that they were like, man, if that's the way marriage is, we should never get married. If we can't ever separate, if we can't ever divorce, we should never get married. Jesus answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. Now, I want you to know Remember I told you that uh, people disagree with me. Some people, not all people, but some people disagree with me on the way that I interpret this passage. And, and here it would be one of those places. Some people read this and they, come, they read those verses and they come to two conclusions. The first is that they read this and they say, well, because Jesus talks about adultery there in those verses, he's siding with the conservative interpretation of Deuteronomy 24 that the only legitimate reason for divorce is adultery. That's what some people read. And then second, uh, the way they read this, is that all divorced people, uh, the, the divorced people, none of them can remarry or else they commit adultery. That's how some people read this passage. Now, neither of those conclusions are correct because they don't fit the rest of the passage. And I'll, I'll explain why in just a moment. If Jesus isn't teaching those two things about divorce, what is Jesus teaching about divorce then in this passage? And I, I'm going to give you three things that Jesus is teaching about divorce in this passage. Here's the first one. Divorce is always an assault on God's sovereignty. That's what he means when he says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. That's what he means. It is an assault. Divorce is always an assault on God's sovereignty. Let's call it what it is. Divorce is always sin. We aren't doing ourselves or our families or our culture any good by ignoring the sin that divorce is. Divorce is always an assault on God's sovereignty. Second, 
Divorce, divorce happens because of hardness of heart. Divorce happens because of hardness of heart. Now, this is, a, a, this is a little subtle, maybe a little nuanced, so I want you to listen very closely to this. You see, in verse 5, when Jesus said that Pope Moses permitted divorce because of the hardness of men's hearts, Jesus was giving a very nuanced reply to the Pharisees because, you see, they were asking a very specific question about legitimate exclusions to the permanence which God intended for marriage. But Jesus didn't answer them. Rather, he flips the question around and he speaks to the cause of divorce. He's not speaking about the exceptions. He's not giving them an answer about that. He's speaking about the cause of divorce rather than the reasons for divorce. And the cause of divorce, he says, is hardness of heart. This is why he doesn't side with either the liberals or the conservatives, because neither are right. Of course a man can't divorce his wife for any reason. That's ridiculous. Rabbi Hillel was a liberal nut. But Rabbi Shammai was wrong too. There are many ways hardness of heart manifests itself other than just adultery. You see, Jesus is saying, you guys completely missed the point of Deuteronomy 24. You're looking for reasons a man can divorce his wife. It was never intended to lay out the legal exclusions to God's will. The purpose of Deuteronomy 24 was to protect women from hard-hearted men who wanted to callously get rid of their wives so that they could marry another. That was the focus of Deuteronomy 24. It It was protecting women, not giving men a way out. Now, if hard-heartedness is the cause of divorce, let's understand what it is. Because Jesus says that hard-heartedness is what causes divorce. Let's understand what it is. And I think if you take the whole of the Bible into consideration, hardness of heart refers to an ongoing, steadfast refusal to submit to God's authority. It's an ongoing, steadfast refusal to submit to God's authority. A hard-hearted person, you see, wants autonomy from God and is unrepentant about it. And as it applies to marriage, hardness of heart means that a spouse refuses to submit to God's authority about marriage. He or she isn't concerned about loving the other person. They're not concerned about treating them with dignity, and they're not concerned about building a healthy marriage with them. What they want to do is make it a convenient marriage for them. It's all self-centered. It's all about me. That's what it is. Now, hardness of heart can look like any number of things. For instance, it could look like unforgiveness. The refusal to forgive a spouse and to continue to hold something against that spouse and to keep bringing it up over and over and over again and using it as an excuse to be unloving and unkind to that spouse. It could look like that. It could look like an addiction that the addicted spouse is unrepentant about and refuses to get help for, and as a result is destroying the marriage. I'm not saying, 
I'm not saying that they're in recovery and sometimes fail. That's not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying they refuse to be in recovery. They refuse to ask for help. They refuse to seek help. They refuse to try. They refuse to go after this addiction. They're, they're just going to stay in their addiction. So it could look like that. It could also look like violence against a spouse. A man beats a wife. Or it could look like the unwillingness for a husband to make sure that his family is provided for. Now, I'm not saying that he has the, I'm not saying, I'm not talking about the inability to get a job. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. You know, sometimes you go through periods where you can't get a job. Maybe, you're, maybe uh, something has happened to you and you physically can't, can't work. Or, or maybe, maybe you, you're just unemployed for a period of time and you can't get a job. That's not what I'm talking about. Not talking also, I'm also not talking about the inability to reach a certain standard of living talking about the unwillingness, the steadfast refusal to play his role in providing for his family. Okay, These are just a few examples of hardness of heart. There are many reasons. There are many, there are, excuse me, there are many, uh, uh, many ways that a person can demonstrate hardness of heart. Now, some of you right now are on edge. And I want you to listen very closely to the next two things I'm going to tell you. Because some of you who are on edge, this is going to change the way that you interpret everything I've said so far. Okay? Um, so listen very closely. Two implications of this principle that divorce happens because of hardness of heart. One is this. There are many divorced people who are still living together in marriage. Oh, you didn't expect that coming, did you? You didn't see that one. There are many divorced people who are still living together in marriage. In other words, one or both have a hardness of heart toward the other that isn't being dealt with, but neither of them has filed the paperwork to actualize the divorce. Hear me on this. Divorce is not the act of filing the legal paperwork. The spirit of divorce happens long before that. You need to understand that if you're in this kind of marriage, being divorced in spirit but living together under the guise of marriage, you're not only not glorifying God in your marriage, but you are also degrading the profound meaning of marriage to your kids if you have them and to other people in your relational orbit. And I believe Jesus would say to you that it is imperative that you immediately seek counseling for your marriage rather than living in passive disobedience to God. Second, now pay close attention to this. Because some of you who have been innocent victims in divorce, and I do believe that there are innocent victims sometimes in divorce. I don't think divorce is always a two-sided thing. I think sometimes it's a one-sided thing and another person is an innocent victim. Some of you who have been innocent victims in divorce, like if you don't hear this closely, you're going to think that I've been beating up on you this whole time, okay, if you don't hear this. But I haven't been beating up on innocent victims of divorce. Here's why. I want you to understand this, that the spouse who files the paperwork for divorce isn't necessarily the one who is divorcing the other person. 
Now, I want to repeat that. The spouse who files the paperwork for divorce isn't necessarily the one who is divorcing the other person. I have known many spouses who did not want a divorce, who did everything they could for a long period of time to make the marriage work. They begged, they pleaded with their spouse to get help, to do what it took, to have a great marriage. Let's get counseling. Seek help for your addiction. I've waited, I've waited. Please, please do something. But their spouse never did. And they were left with no choice but to file for divorce. Because their spouse had already divorced them in spirit. You see what I'm saying? So filing the paperwork, that wasn't the divorce. The divorce was when the spouse refused over and over and over again to do anything to get help for the marriage. Filing for divorce isn't, okay, hear me. Filing for divorce isn't the sin. The hardness of heart that one has toward the other is the sin. Here's the third thing that Jesus is teaching about divorce. Divorcing one spouse in order to marry another is adultery. Divorcing one spouse to marry another is adultery. That is an example of hard-heartedness. And this is what Jesus is saying in verses 11 and 12. Now, I think if you just read this as it's written, I think this is very clear and very easy to see. Frankly, I don't understand why some people get this all confused and read other things into it. Just read what it says plainly. Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. Pretty easy, isn't it? If a guy says, says, you know what, I want to marry her, so I'm going to divorce her. When he gets married to her, that's, that's adultery. That's what he's saying. And then he says, if she divorces her husband and marries another man, like, like, like if, she, if she had hard-heartedness toward his husband, her husband and she was like, I don't want to be married to him anymore, I want to be married to him, and so she divorces him to marry her, he says, that's adultery. Now, here's what's interesting about that. Air conditioning is going on. It sounds like we're taking off, doesn't it? It sounds like we're, sounds like we're getting raptured as a group. Here we go. You know? no. This whole passage is about men. Here's what's interesting. This whole passage is about men divorcing their wives. All along, it's been about men divorcing their wives because in ancient Israel, uh, women weren't allowed They couldn't. They didn't have any power. They couldn't divorce their husbands. Only men could do that. So that's that's where the emphasis in this passage has been all along on the men. But notice in verse 12, Jesus adds women. He holds men responsible when they divorce to marry someone else. And he holds women equally responsible if they divorce their husband to marry someone else. Now, why does he add women? (laughs) Why does he do that? Because Jesus, unlike many patriarchal cultures throughout history, saw women as people of equal dignity and importance as men. Much of the law in the Old Testament was designed to protect women from abuse in a misogynist patriarchal culture. And so here, as Jesus does in so many passages, he elevates women to the position of equality that they had from creation. 
But that also means that not only do they have the same dignity and importance as men, they also have the same moral culpability as men when they sin against God. So just like if he divorces his wife to marry somebody else, if she divorces her husband to marry someone else, that's adultery. Either way. That's Jesus' teaching on divorce. That divorce is an assault on God's sovereignty, that divorce is caused by hardness of heart, and that divorcing one spouse to marry another is adultery. That's Jesus' teaching on divorce. Now, I want to close this morning, as we always do, by thinking about Jesus' cross and divorce. How does Jesus' cross affect this issue of divorce? And I think it's important to speak to those of you who have at some point in your life divorced a spouse. Now, let's, I, I, just because I want to be consistent, I want you to understand, I want you to hear what I'm saying, okay? I'm not saying that, uh, I'm not necessarily saying that, 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 that you filed the paperwork, okay? I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you were the one that went down, filed the paperwork, you know, got an attorney, filed the paperwork, and said, okay, there's going to be a divorce. I'm not talking about that. So, so if, you, if you're the innocent victim in a divorce, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the one or to the people that allowed your heart to be so hardened that you divorced your spouse in spirit. You may not have gone and filed the paperwork, but you divorced your spouse. Maybe that ended a marriage in the past, your hardness of heart. Maybe you're still living in a marriage like that right now. Like like you guys are still living together in marriage. But really, in spirit, you're divorced. You need to know that the cross of Jesus Christ means that your sin is no less forgivable than any of my sins or anybody else's sins here in this room. All that is needed to receive the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers is repentance. Heaping more guilt on yourself won't bring the forgiveness that you need. Living with shame won't bring the forgiveness that you need. Thinking that God hates you and trying to avoid Him won't bring the forgiveness that you need. Trying to ignore your sin won't bring the forgiveness that your soul so desperately needs. The healing power of Jesus' cross that takes away your guilt and shame is available to you when you acknowledge your sin, own that it was wrong, and drop it at the cross of Christ. And if you're still living in a marriage, that is divorced in spirit, it's that forgiveness that Jesus offers through the cross that is the hope of healing for your marriage as well. I also want to say this, that Jesus wanted the Pharisees, He wanted the disciples, He wanted the crowd He was teaching, He wanted you and me. He wants us to focus on the positive will of God expressed in the law and summarized by loving God and loving people. But because the culture in which we live is so confused about love, many of our ideas about love are tragically distorted. To see what love is, look at the cross on which Jesus died. That's what love looks like. On the cross, Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law of love when He willingly died as a sacrifice 
for the sins of humanity. There, Jesus perfectly loved God and perfectly loved people. The one who loved perfectly died for the ones who love imperfectly so that we could experience the eternal love of God. One of Jesus' disciples who was present for this teaching in Mark chapter 10, he was there, he was present, he was physically there. A guy by the name of John. He was also present at the cross on which Jesus was crucified. John was so struck by the sight of Jesus on that cross that many years later he wrote this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. He said, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's what love looks like. Uh, not the... Not the romantic kind of love that, oh, I don't know, Beyonce sings about. And I'm, I, I like Beyonce, but so I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not upset about Beyonce. I'm just saying, you know, not her kind of love. That's, that's not what love looks like. Or uh, Kanye, you know, it's not about what he describes as love. Not about any of those guys, any of those people. What love looks like is Jesus hanging on a Roman cross. The one who never had to die, dying for those who deserve to die. That's what love looks like. May you know the love of Christ. And whether you're married or not, may you show the love of Christ to everyone you know. And then for those of you who are married, let it start with the one with whom you have become one flesh. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, this is a controversial teaching. It is a controversial passage of Scripture. It sort of rubs up against the selfishness of human hearts. And uh, Lord, um, it also uh, has been used often to beat people up who were innocent victims in a divorce. Lord Jesus Christ, uh, I pray that for those who have been innocent victims of divorce, that they, they, that they would hear this morning that whether they filed the paperwork, uh, you know, if, if they're the ones that did that, that that wasn't when the divorce occurred. The, the divorce occurred. The sin happened when their spouse had an unrepentant hardness of heart toward them. Reassure these innocent victims of divorce of that truth. Lord, for those who have been guilty of a hardness of heart toward their spouse and that, you know, it destroyed a marriage or it is in the process of destroying a marriage. Lord, would you remind them, would you comfort them that uh, forgiveness is offered to anybody who's repentant in your name, who comes before you and says, yes, I'm wrong, I've got a hard heart. Lord Jesus, change my heart. I've been wrong. Lord, would you, would you reassure them that forgiveness is available to them on that basis of repentance. And Lord, would you heal their hearts? And Lord, would you heal their marriages as a result? Lord Jesus Christ, we worship you this morning as the great lover of humanity. And Lord, let us model your love to all of the people in our relational orbits, but first and foremost, toward those to whom we are joined and made into one flesh by God's sovereignty. It is in your name that we pray, Lord Jesus.
Amen.